Welcome back to the Wild Lab Podcast. I'm James Marshall, and this episode is brought to you by the great Straight Face Razors. If you live in New Zealand and you're after a new razor, then look no further than this great product. The sharpest five-blade head will have your face looking like a fresh young lad again. And for Wild Lab listeners, you can get a whopping 50% off your first order by heading to wadlad.com and clicking on the Straight Face logo, and the discount will be all there ready to go. $15 for four heads. It's an absolute steal and a must try if you're looking for a new razor. Also, a massive thank you to anyone who has brought themselves some Lad merch or some Water Lad coffee or some Pure Sport CBD. All of these things have helped bring this podcast to you. So if you enjoy this podcast, head over to waterlad.com and treat yourself to one of these great products. It is all very much appreciated and it is helping make this podcast grow. Anyway, let's get into this one. Let's roll the intro. Just love that, love that tune. Now today I have a very special guest on the podcast. After the rugby world was shocked last week with the sudden retirement of one of English Premiership's most promising young players due to concussion at just a tender age of 24 years old, I thought it was a great chance to get the lad on to reflect about his career and go into some depth about concussion. And like all my guests are, this guy is an absolute lad, one of the greats it is, Theo Brophy Clues. Welcome, Boris. Thanks for coming on, mate. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, so it's all done. Rugby is finished. How do you feel? Yeah, I feel uh, I feel old, to be honest. I feel older than I, uh, <laughs> I thought I would. I'm joining, joining the retired crew. Yeah, well. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks. It's... Uh, it's weird, like, I mean, there's lots to be uh, really positive about in terms of, like, how much I enjoyed my career, and obviously I've got a few exciting things to look forward to, but it is a bit of a weird feeling, um, definitely. Was it a sudden incident? I didn't know it was coming at all, so it sort of shocked me, but did you sort of have a feeling it was close, or how did it all happen? So, like, obviously, like, as you'll, as you'll know, but I guess people listening might not, I've had, a, I've had a decent history with concussions, so I've had, obviously, a few kind of normal ones and a couple of bad ones I end up taking a um a layoff kind of a forced layoff for about six months um probably two two and a bit three years ago um but since then I'd been fine really so like I'd had no issues with my head so I was kind of fit and played kind of two seasons and then I basically had one um probably kind of two months ago and then played a good run of games after that and then had another one and um so it was kind of like it was fine i had no issues and then suddenly it was kind of in a picture again and um had a pretty open conversation with bruiser the the head of medical um irish and um after this kind of last concussion he basically sat down i kind of walked into the physio room and i was kind of like i'd obviously thought about my career before and thought about concussion a lot because of my history with it and um but yeah, it was quite interesting him sitting me down and looking me in the eyes and him kind of starting to tear up. And I was like, what's he going to say here? Um, and he was just like, look, I've been thinking, yeah, I was just like, he said to me that he'd been thinking about it a lot. And obviously he'd known me ever since I'd been at the club. So he'd known me like since I was 17. Yeah. And he kind of just looks at me and is like, look there, like, I think, I think you're done here. I think it's time, like for my kind of well-being and my kind of my health going forward, he was like, I don't think you can keep doing this. Um, I genuinely believe like this is the right thing to do. And I kind of sat there and looked at him. I was like, wow, <laughs> that just happened. Um, so, 
yeah, after that, it was um, we had a kind of a few more conversations with like a concussion clinic, the specialists. But I think when he told me that, obviously it, it had been in my head. I kind of looked at him, and because I like I trust him so much, I was just like, you know what, like he's right. This is the best thing. So that was it, really, mate. So it was kind of like in a way, it That's was crazy. it was a long time coming, but also it then happened very very quickly. Yeah. So you, going into that meeting, you had no no thoughts at all about retirement. <sighs> Not really. Like I'd probably like it's probably worth mentioning that probably a, a few months before, so before my kind of first concussion this season. Mm. I'd had a I'd had a chat with because um, there's a lot of stuff coming out in England. I don't know kind of how how far it's spanning in terms of obviously it's rugby, but yeah. there's a few kind of ex rugby players. Have you heard about this? Their lawsuit. Yeah. yeah so yeah. there's a couple of ex well, England and Welsh rugby players suing the RFU for kind of mismanagement of concussions because mm. sadly they've got early onset dementia um, due to rugby injuries, which is which is awful. But yeah. I'd kind of that had come out before this had happened, so I'd had a few conversations because obviously having had a couple myself, I was a bit worried. But I was kind of not kind of like talked down, but there's there's lots of factors, mitigating factors, and there's, it's so complicated. Mm. But um, so I'd I'd had a conversation with a, with a coach who'd retired because of concussion, and he basically said to me that he was 27 when he retired, and he said to me that like I'd be absolutely fine if I was retired, as in like if I retired straight away he was like, I didn't want to push myself till the absolute limit. But he was like, you'll be absolutely fine, mate. He's like, just do it. And I was like, I haven't, I haven't asked about if I should retire or not. <laughs> and I've got a coach telling me that I'm going to be fine. I was like, what's going on here? So like I'd had it framed in my mind. And then I guess potentially after the concussion, so it was a Friday night game against Bath, literally the first impact of the game kind of rocked me and I felt pretty awful. It was like two minutes or so like ball and play and I got taken off after that. Mm. And it probably had like two, two and a bit days before I spoke to Bruiser. But then, yeah, like I, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. I wasn't like, this is it. This yeah. is like the last one. I was like, oh, I'll go speak to him, see what he has to say. Yeah. And then, yeah, after that, I moved pretty quickly. So that final one wasn't even a massive impact. It was just a regular tackle or... Yeah, I mean, I think this is the thing that kind of worried Brian is that like it was it was literally off the kickoff I was chasing and there was like a lifting pod um, like that's gone up and I've gone to kind of hit it and I think kind of like my like my chin like neck area had been hit by someone like knee or something as they were coming down. Yeah, but it wasn't like I got a shoulder to the head and like a brutal tackle. Yeah, and then after that, basically like Brian, like I said, he he's known me for a while, so he kind of knows when I've I've had something. And he was watching me straight after that. And then I had a couple and then I actually got a decent shot on my head and like a hit in a tackle. So it, was, it wasn't it was like a super clear cut one. Mm-hmm. And I think he, from his experience, and then obviously he had, he had time to think about it. Um, there's obviously a few kind of reasons behind the kind of retirement. It's not like, yeah. don't know, jumping ship and it. Like, to be honest, it's not, it's not massively like my decision. Like, I don't, I don't really want to retire. But yeah. like I said, when someone has that conversation, you are like, I've got to take it seriously. So what sort of symptoms do you have from this one? Were they any different to any of your other ones? Any worse? No, I think something that I, I probably struggled with this one a little bit more was like balance. Like that one, even though it wasn't particularly bad, for a couple of days after I felt I felt really bad. Yeah. Just kind of the general stuff like balance, dizziness, headaches. And they probably lasted kind of um, probably like just over a week. Um, but I was kind of on my way to making this decision by then. Um, I've not been someone who's like, struggled really long term with symptoms but I think Brian and Brian said well that like 
you don't want to get to the point there when you can't do anything mm. until you make the call to stop hitting your head. Um, and I think the nature of my career is that like I've had a few, I've had quite a few, and he believes, and I, I kind of he said it out really well that I was like, it's not really going to change, and yeah. you don't want to kind of keep going down that road until you're like, oh my god, we could have made this decision a few years ago. Yeah, fair enough. Was there ever thought of you? just taking a, like a long break out of the game, maybe like one or two years and then reassess it then? Or you just know like once once you're done, you you feel like you're done. There's no point trying to get back in there. It's a really good point. And because I've, I've had a quite long layoff that kind of actually kind of worked in a way, like yeah. I was kind of fine after that. I didn't, I didn't struggle with it so much. It kind of crossed my mind. And then I was like, you know what, there is like, there is things I want to do outside of rugby. There is a life I want to pursue. And I, I was at, I think I was at this point when I, I'd had this conversation, I took, kind of, I was, took a week off and went to see my mum in Wales and just kind of chilled out for a bit. Mm. And um, yeah, it got to the point where I was like, I, I don't want to look back at this and be like, I should have done something different. Um, especially like I said, with the, the medical advice I got, I was like, and and a lot of people had said to me, like, there was a lot of really good people around me being like, there's like, well, rugby's brilliant. Um, there's a lot more to life. And like, you, you obviously know that you've got three boys now. And I think obviously it gets quite like serious when you're thinking about it so long term. Mm. Um, and so I was just like, you know what? I think that's me. And I think that I don't want to kind of get back in and then have one really bad one and be like, honestly, like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Like, I kind of had those like conversations. So I think... While I would love to, and while I'm kind of going to realise how much I miss being a rugby player at some point in the next kind of few months, <laughs> I just like it would just kill me if uh, if I look back at it and was like I made the wrong decision. Yeah. So you're still with the boys at the moment. You're still in around the environment, still as a professional rugby player until the end of the season. Is that right? Yes, that is right. I'm like the captain of the non-23. Oh, true. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of currently. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of doing bits and bobs in training. Um, I'm kind of gymming with the boys, being in meetings, helping out, and um, obviously running around in my pink bib, which is the non-contact bib. So no one's laying a finger on me, thankfully. Um, which I've actually realised, like rugby's class when you don't have to tackle or uh, or like do any contact in training. So yeah, but that's been like, I mean, that's been really nice. I think that's kind of eased this kind of transition. Like yeah. I've been around all the boys. I've been around my good mates and. Like it was actually like it was so nice, mate, to like tell them like face to face. Like while obviously I'm, the announcement kind of came out, I'd I'd spoken to the guys at the club a couple of weeks previous, and I oh, it was it was pretty brutal standing up for like after a team meeting and being like, look, this is this is what's happening. But yeah. like it was really nice in the way that I got to like tell everyone like to their face, like exactly kind of what was happening and why it was going on. But yeah, mate, and this period's been like it's been a bit of a holiday, I guess, like being around everyone still training and still seeing the boys outside of rugby yeah. playing golf for them like a dream. yeah i know and my body doesn't feel shit all the time so uh, that, that's good too how have you managed to avoid snake in those 15 on 15 runarounds he's he used to be a nightmare in those games always after the injured bibs i know that's why he's called the snake i mean he'll say that it's not why he's called the snake but it, it is really um i just see i just see his shiny dome flying at me from uh, from miles away now so i can get out of the way yeah it's um it is quite there is kind of a funny where i'm like i'll like if obviously kind of it's like a square shoulder or whatever and boys are kind of running towards me and i'll like 
shout and touch. And then obviously like the big boys, like they just, they've got no idea. So I've got to the point where like, I'm like diving out of the way of tackles. It's kind of like, it's a bit of a joke, but um, I've got to make the most of it while I still can. Oh, that's classic. So how many concussions did you actually have all up? And like, what sort of number are we talking here? Was it, was it a massive number? Um, so when you ask someone who's had a few concussions, how many concussions they had, and they say, I don't know. It's always... <laughs> yeah, I think in my um, in my professional like career, I probably had um, six or seven kind of proper incidences. Mm. Um, and like, I've been lucky in the fact that I've got like a really good medical team around me. There's loads of regulations. Yeah. Um, there's a specialist con- concussion clinic that's like outside of the club that we have to go see after concussions to get a kind of unbiased view. Yeah. So I'd say all mine have been managed pretty well. And also they'll say that it's not like the amount of concussions. It's like the kind of, it's the prolonged exposure to like head impacts. So if you have like, it's like you had a 20 year career, you're obviously exposed to quite a lot of head impacts versus if you had a six year career like mine and had a couple of serious ones. Mm. I mean, yeah, you'll speak to these guys and they'll tell you they don't know, but I think as it's kind of, you obviously hear some like horrible numbers about people like over 10. I'm almost lucky in a situation that it's kind of taken my ha- out of my hands in, in a way. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on that lawsuit? Are you, you've obviously got no regrets about playing rugby at all because you're, you've sort of walked away from the game fine. But how do you feel about these guys who are um, looking to press charges against World Rugby for um, the way their head knocks were treated? Yeah, oh, it's difficult. Like, mm. I obviously, they like, they played in kind of like a different era to us. So yeah. they're like coming up through the kind of like, just as it's turning professional, like you hear like horror stories about the stuff they go through in training. And a boy's getting knocked out in training and then playing the next day and yeah. like all stuff like this. And also as well, like something that like I'm quite clear about, like obviously a, a quite a few people have messaged me after the, the announcement and stuff. I don't have anything against rugby and I'm, I'm glad that I don't and I'm not bitter about anything about stuff was managed or whatever because like it's kind of just, this is what's happened to me. It's not rugby in general. Whereas I think these guys have had such like severe kind of life-changing alterations that I think they would view it in a very different way, especially with some of the things they probably had to go through mm. with anything. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I think, um, I think they do want to change the sport as well. Like I think they do want to make sure that it's that the league and the unions are doing everything they can, which I think is good. Um, and there's obviously a lot of chat around contact and training and HIAs and stuff. So I think like things like this will hopefully change the game for the better. Mm. Not that I think there is some inherent, real issue with uh with rugby because it's a contact sport and, yeah. and injuries happen like you know and what, what are your thoughts about the rules at the moment obviously i think it's a little bit worse over in the english premiership and over in the uk around the head knocks and red cards and i've seen some pretty rough calls on some guys with accidental head contact so how do you feel the gamers over there do you think they're they're on the money with going overboard with the decisions or do you think um it might be a little bit of an overreaction yeah, I mean, I'd hate to be a ref or on the refereeing board at the moment. Because so like you said, there is... Yeah, and like, they're obviously, like, they are trying and they, they have to look after players, but it's really difficult, some of the calls that are being made, because, mm. like, we've had a couple this year where in tackles, players are kind of, they've, they've ducked. And, you know, like, I mean, you watch forwards, like, 
they they've just hit heads yeah. like it happens like and and they're getting red cards and tackles where there's no malice there's no intent like people just hit heads yeah like it's um like i was chatting um with a couple of boys watching the game last night about the fact that teams like are gonna just start waiting to till there's 14 men on the pitch to start like playing <laughs> because I don't know. I don't know what the stats are, but every game someone's getting yellow carded or yeah. red carded for high tackle or impact to the head. Yeah, I'm lucky that I've only ever like chopped people low because I'm not big enough to whack <laughs> people high. So if I was a big boy, you like like hitting people, it would be tough. Um, I think it's good that they're trying to go overboard in terms of they're trying to change the way that players are tackling. Yeah. But the problem is, I don't think I don't think they'll achieve that by like penalising people. I think you need to like coach people how to tackle differently yeah um i don't know i don't think you were still at the club when they our second round in the champ no when yeah. um we had uh they had this thing called the championship cup and they thought they were going to change the rules so basically you couldn't tackle like anything above like the nipples was oh, like a high I, tackle i did hear about that yeah and it genuinely so everyone was like chop tackling first game six concussions was it like Genuinely, so because they just changed the rules, yeah. like players, like all of a sudden, like were doing stuff they'd never done before, <laughs> um, like diving at people's ankles, people just getting like head on hips, like there was knees, like yeah. it was just like it was a bit, it's a bit of a sick joke, like really watching this happen, like the yeah. first game. Um, so I don't think you'll end up changing it too much from like setting. Obviously, you do have to set some rules and mm. and kind of penalise players who do it badly, but I think trying to coach players to do it safer and i don't know how you'd enforce that but yeah. basically especially from a young age coaching people to tackle and carry in a way that doesn't lead to as many head head impacts is, is probably the way to go yeah that's an interesting one so did you get more head knocks from actually tackling or carrying the ball because i always felt like whenever i got a head high it didn't really affect the head my my main head knocks and incidents were all from tr trying to tackle low and getting a hip or getting an elbow or a knee or something like that but um, any sort of head high I got, I always felt like I could just sort of bounce up, and it was, it wasn't too bad. But I don't know what was what was your experience like. Exactly the same. I used to be like, obviously, like I wasn't a big guy. Like mm. the only way I could tackle people was like just like tackling low, chop tackling, getting low. Even like, mate, you'll have it when like the dreaded like their their massive number eight picks and just charges <laughs> at you. Like the only thing you can do is dive at their feet. Like. Yeah. Um, or you'll, or you'll get on their highlight reel. Um, <laughs> oh, so, that's what I chose. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the highlight reel every day. Um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I, mate, I had exactly the same. So I was always tackling low and I would, I'd say like pretty much all of my concussions would be from tackling low around people's knees, hips, mm. everything like that. I don't like, I like tackling, but I was pretty rubbish at it. So I would just like throw myself at people. Yeah. And like, I genuinely watched some of the, like some of my tackles and like deck, deck Danaher, will, like hang his head, like his hands in his, his palms, watching me try to tackle people, just throwing myself. At them. But like, yeah, I, I would like, I'll get hit around the head and like, you're kind of fine, but then you get like a tackle and your head glances a hip and you get a concussion. It's, um, yeah. I've actually probably, in the last two years, just like our defense coach, coach changing, and he wanted us to hold the ball up, basically get time in the tackle and tackle people higher, mm. get our chest in front, and like that's just the way he coached it. And I suddenly, I mean, this coincided with me coming back from having a bit of time off. Mm. Um, 
but I felt like straight away I wasn't getting concussions or I wasn't I wasn't feeling like my face was getting messed up yeah. like playing rugby so I like it's it's a weird one I would say that like for me in my experience like tackling higher was was better for my head mm. um obviously I was a bit stronger probably so yeah I had the same same experience as you really it's interesting eh? and it's one for I guess world rugby and stuff to really look into because yeah I I feel like the trying to lower the tackle height all kind of makes it more dangerous like you obviously experienced in that um in that <laughs> rule trial <laughs> six concussions in the first game that's loose Mate, they they scrapped it yeah they scrapped it after the the first four rounds they were like, like we can't keep doing this which is i mean obviously like we're, we're laughing at it it's pretty serious but yeah. it was like what's going on because you did just get players who never before like diving at people and obviously they're going to get need in the head if they don't know how to do that yeah so you're right i think it's i don't know if you can lead it from rugby but i mean like you know with anything like it takes a long time for these things to change mm. and so like trying to teach people to tackle them in a different way i mean made the whole concu- the whole like conversation around concussion like you'll speak to i'll speak to the, the neurologist and he's like I don't know. I don't know how to make it better, which is kind of scary, really. It's yeah. a bit like you're sitting there listening to this guy and he's like the expert and he's like, yeah, we, we just don't know, really. Like we just and he's being completely honest mm. because he's not going to lie to you and say that they know exactly what it causes and how to reduce it. But yeah, it is an, an ongoing kind of learning thing for rugby as a sport. But like mate, you say about tackle height, you watch something like the, um, the NRL stuff at the moment is it's pretty savage yeah. with some of those that are going on. Mate, they are struggling to keep their tackles low at the moment. They're getting at least two or three in the bin every game. They're, they're struggling to adapt. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, mate, it's all been awesome to hear how the sort of journey finished, but let's go back to the start for you. Like, um, Obviously a very promising young player. How did your rugby career sort of start? Yeah, I, I had a pretty kind of straight line for the first couple of years. Um, it was, I kind of, like at school, I had a really good school team and a really good school coach. So I started, I actually started Irish, mate, when I was when I was 12, which 12. Uh, oh, seems like a long true. time ago. Yeah. Right. So I ended up, so I was at, I was I played my like junior rugby at Newbury um, and then kind of got involved in Berkshire kind of county setup. And then through that kind of got into the Irish setup. And so, yeah, I was training at the, the training ground since I was 12 with kind of like Wednesday nights. Um, is 12 normal or? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I was turning 13, but I was still 12 at the time. Yeah. Like it does sound very early. It was my first year of county. So like I literally was training with like 16 year olds, um, which, I, which I'd say to be fair, like as a younger player, like I think that's why I kind of developed as a player because I was always playing with boys that were older than me like mm. I don't know how the kind of different systems work in different countries but um like literally as as kind of young as I remember I was always playing with older players yeah um so I was Irish kind of in there like silver academy I think they call it um and pretty much just obviously kind of went through that while I was playing at school I then had kind of some good experience with the England age grade system so kind of got into that through the Irish academy um and some of like coaches like there were like incredible um john fletcher is like a coach that i still speak to and he's like he ran the england age grades for years and years um and like some of the best players kind of england golden age of like farrell Atoje, um the vinopolas and stuff like were still coached by him and yeah. so to get into that pathway was pretty was pretty cool um and then pretty much from what from when i left school i got got signed full-time from irish and then kind of got into it from there i think there's then it kind of 
while that was pretty linear, it then kind of hit the rocks a little bit, went very up and down for a few years, but it was, um, it was a pretty ideal start to my rugby career. Yeah, man, how good's that? And what age were you when you made your Irish debut? I was 17, so oh, wow. um, still at school. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, um, I, got, I got a train straight from school. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know Maka at the time, but you'll know Maka. He kind yeah. of, he kind of greeted me um, off the train and, and got me in a cab to, uh, we were playing against Scarlet. So um, yeah, that was a pretty, it was pretty surreal. I played three games while, while I was still um, in my last year at school, a couple of um, LV Cup games, which is obviously like a younger competition typically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that first game was pretty pretty unreal. It, like I was on the bench, obviously, and it snowed the whole game. So like I'm 17, like coming on, I cannot feel my hands like properly shitting it. So it was um, yeah, it was class, but, but it was um, pretty surreal experience. And was that you at 10 then too? Yeah. So um, I literally got I got five minutes. I I scored with my second touch. I literally got past the ball <laughs> over the line. What a guy! And I was just like, yeah, I know. I was just like, this is incredible. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was like different level, obviously, like I was a kid. Um, I genuinely still to this day, don't think I knew many of the calls. I was just kind of like shouting as loud as I could to try and seem like I knew what was going on. Um, as a, as a lot of young tens can probably imagine the young boys, when they come through are just like shouting cause they're like trying to seem like they know what's going on. Yeah. Well, it's always an intimidating place to like, especially at that age to try and drive a team around at 17 years old, must've been pretty intimidating, but you're a confident sort of bloke. And were you always like that? Even at that age? I probably like, well, I wasn't naturally like a super confident guy, but I had that thing where when I played rugby, like I kind of. I just kind of came out of my shell a little bit. Yeah. Um, I probably went like, like I, said, I was going to say overboard, but like, you know, you're trying to overcompensate when you feel like you're not that comfortable in a situation yeah. and trying to like seem like you're more confident. Yeah, I think yeah. I probably had that one when I was kind of coming through. Um, I was also like, I mean, you, you probably kind of saw a little bit of this, of this that I was so like, like rugby was my, my, my life. Um, um when i was like i mean growing up but obviously like 18 19 it was like i was just obsessed with rugby like proper kind of proper rugby noise like yeah. just loved it so I, I mean i think that like helped me get into it but i think it kind of also probably didn't help me in a little in a few ways as well what ways do you think it didn't help you i don't think i was a particularly like approachable guy when i was kind of like 18 19 like i don't know obviously i had a few kind of injuries at the time so I didn't like my first season I played a decent bit of rugby and then kind of the next two years obviously like injury kind of like I like struck I guess I had a few kind of bigger ones but I think um I struggled to kind of really build like really good relationships with people in the team because I was kind of just like rugby and then I'd go home and do my own thing um and especially like even like the boys around me at my age I was probably like a little kind of unwelcoming and pretty just like serious and straightforward rugby and like like you know like and like you're like the king of this is like some of the best rugby players just like just super good guys like really friendly like good at building relationships and just have a good time while they're doing it and I probably kind of missed out on that kind of enjoyment and kind of like social aspect when I was a little bit younger because I was a bit because I was very straight down the line and focused about what I was trying to do. Oh, that's interesting to hear. So do you think that was because of your personality type or because um, you were just so obsessed with becoming the best rugby player you could be. It was it was probably like a bit of my personality. Like I was naturally quite like analytical and kind of like like the detail side of it. Yeah. Um, I like being specific with stuff. But then I think obviously the kind of 
like the pressure of like trying to kind of get into a premiership side and and also like premiership rugby as i found out like i came from a like age grade system where it was very like decision making and very loose and very unstructured and i really liked that and i've kind of thrived off that and then i suddenly got put in an environment when i had to tell 14 guys around me where they should be for the next like four phases in a row yeah and i think that kind of just like brought out the kind of analytical planning side of me that then probably didn't help me like develop as a player because i was just focused on telling people around me what to do and where they were going to be rather than just like playing rugby and playing the game mm. um so i think it kind of brought it out in me um but then obviously like you said you get older have some more experiences and things change a little yeah but you obviously made the england and the 20s two years in a row didn't you so how was that experience yeah it was uh it was great and also like really really shit at the same time <laughs> um it was like my first year, I, I played a decent bit of premiership rugby and didn't play that Six Nations and then kind of rocked up to the, um, it was the Manchester World Cup for the under 20s. Yeah. And we ended up going to win that, but I, I got injured in the first game. I, I tore a ligament in my foot quite badly oh, in, in the first game. And so didn't like feel like I was a re- like a part of that team, even though I kind of was. And then watching him go on to win it was like, was brilliant. I didn't really have any bitterness, but I, I wasn't involved in the team that won it. Yeah. And so the kind of the next year rolled around and I was like, I was back fit and I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. This is kind of my time to kind of have a good crack. And then the Six Nations that year was kind of, I was gearing up for it and then had a bit of a niggly, another niggly injury. So I ended up playing the last two games, but I probably played about 15 minutes of rugby in that Six Nations. Um, but we won a, we won a Grand Slam um, in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day, which was like, up there in terms of like class <laughs> memories um <laughs> my dad had been there all day as in in ireland in dublin yeah. and he like could not speak by the time <laughs> he got to the end of the game and so like i come up to it i'm like come on like where have i medal after the presentation and he just gives this like weird semblance of just like shouting at me <laughs> and i'm like he's got no idea where he is i still don't think he remembers that day um which is quite funny um so that was one of the good oh, ones. That's good. Those injuries, um, were they head knocks or were they something else? Something else, yeah. So like like thankfully, like I haven't had like loads and loads and loads. So that yeah. I've also had loads of other injuries as well, which yeah. has given my head head a bit of a rest. <laughs> um which is funny. So yeah, they were like they were they were both feet and then yeah, so that then it got to the the second World Cup I played in, um, which was brilliant and it was kind of more my like age group and we got to the final that year and then got got absolutely battered by uh the the, the all blacks um oh, that kind of that crew well yeah. i didn't think so i got injured in the semi-final again sadly the same injury i'd done the year before on my other foot so yeah. that's what i mean in terms of the like it was brilliant like the experiences i had and like the boys that we kind of came through and played with was was brilliant and really special but yeah i had some uh some pretty kind of testing times with it. that was kind of my my main struggles with her injury were around that time but yeah there were some like there's some class memories and like I said being on tour when you're like 18 19 like for a long period of time it's kind of like it's just like a real experience like it's unbelievable fun yeah and how did you deal with your injuries like you had so many throughout your career like how did you did you come up with a process to deal with them or especially at a young age and big sort of world cups like that must have been hard to sort of deal with mentally yeah, I, like the like first one, like really hit me. Like I mentioned, like my kind of getting into rugby was pretty straightforward in terms of like it was like academy system, age grade system, like first team at, at Irish, and 
and then that first injury hit and it kind of like I mentioned about those like things about me just being a rugby player and like having not much else in my life or just being kind of too focused on that kind of came became pretty apparent in terms of I really struggled to kind of deal with life and I was just like this this sucks and I was kind of annoyed and angry lots but then you'll know mate that like sometimes like the really like rubbish times of injury end up they teach you a lot and you end up becoming a better player and a better person because of it so Mm -hmm. I think I I got to experience that firsthand like every the second time I did that that same foot injury like it sucked for like immediately but then I learned to kind of get on with stuff very quickly and I learned to focus on what I could actually do rather than just being like life's unfair this sucks and I think each time I got injured I kind of learned to do that more and also it it gave me more time outside of rugby to develop Mm. different things I was interested in to study um to do other things and and I think that like even when I look back at my career and the injuries I had I I still think they they really helped me as a person Mm. um which I think a lot of people would speak to and say and I think that's kind of one of the the good things and the bad things about being injured yeah I think that's a great point because every rugby player gets injured at some point throughout their career and how they sort of deal with that and bounce back um, is a massive turning point in a lot of guys careers some guys don't seem to bounce back quite like they did from their first injury and I guess that's just the mindset they take into that rehab and as to how they sort of come back and present themselves as a player when they're ready to go so it's, it's a really good point that you make there yeah and like you look at some players that like are still playing like i don't i don't obviously know he's controlled injuries I, I don't know him particularly well but like you look at like james o'connor as yeah. someone who had i mean loads of stuff like playing for the wallabies like really young and then had injuries and issues with like selection and fitness and like off-field stuff i guess like, i don't know his whole story but and now he's being considered of being like potentially being the captain for the wallabies like people like him and there'll be loads of boys that have done this at like a high level that have shown that real like flexibility and like I genuinely think that's one of the most Im- impressive things about people who have long careers but careers that they do so well but also have some like really big injuries um, yeah. like like you've obviously had y- your fair share as well and like you'll you'll know how difficult it is to come back but I think once you experience getting back once you can kind of do it again yeah for sure there's some guys who just get a tough break when it comes to injuries there. Eh? Yeah. So you played 63 caps for London Irish. Obviously, quite a decent amount of games in the end. Any um, games that sort of stand out for you? This season, um, and a bit of a, a run we've had. And like it's kind of the, the, the first time, well, not the first time, but kind of one of the main times I felt like a real part, part of the team. We've we kind of had a few like ridiculous games. Like we had, we were losing like 32 3 against Bristol, who were the. The, the league leaders still are like playing an unbelievable brand of rugby mm. and coming back and drawing that game um was pretty cool um we had a a quarter not a quarter final like around a 16 european game against cardiff this year um we had a red card with about 30 minutes to play um ended up winning in the last minute we scored three tries in the last five minutes oh. coming back and win that game yeah that was pretty cool um i've had like I think my first St. Patrick's Day game, like you obviously being at the club, you'll know that like St. Paddy's Day is quite a big thing for Irish. Mm. And so playing against Gloucester a, a while back, um, a few years ago, you were playing and, and scoring a try in that. I think that was quite a big moment for me because like I'd been at the club for ages, but I'd never played a St. Patrick's Day game. And that was pretty sick. And I remember like 
as much as that try was cool, like I remember I got like a pint of Guinness chucked on my head at the end of the game. <laughs> and so like that was like my overriding memory from that game. And I was like, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> well, yeah, you talked about the season um, having a big impact on the side this season. You were traditionally a 10, but you got moved to 12 this season. How did that sort of come about? Yeah, I, I basically became the um, like proper utility back this year. We had like, I think we had like, because of injuries and like I ended up coming off the bench and playing lots of different positions. Um, I'd actually played... 12 a little bit kind of through minor 20s and kind of like on and off I'd played I played a bit 12 and I was obviously that kind of that 12 that was going to move the ball like as a fly half like going to move the ball around could yeah. kick um could do all those things and I think because of like the squad that we had at the time Paddy at 10 at Irish is like this is kind of just like he runs the team like the team is kind of his he he can he controls everything and has, has been a brilliant player for us this year and so like it never like I, I probably wasn't going to play much at 10 and so because of an injury and some like selection stuff I ended up starting the game at 12 um, and that was that Bristol game actually where we were losing by 30 points after half time yeah. and I think like just for me at that time like I've, I'd got to a point in my career where I was like I'm not going to hold back and I'm going to try stuff and and take risks which I probably hadn't done before and I think because of that it like it led itself to a few things coming off and I actually just really enjoyed playing playing 12 having a bit more space kind of being that second set of eyes second set of hands I think briefly I remember I think we played 10 and 12 against yeah. Quinns a while a few years ago and like I just think like you get to play inside like playing outside you was like a good experience because you kind of get to like also like learn off that person but kind of help them and help them manage the team as, a, as someone who's played fly half as well yeah um and so I think it just it kind of suited me this year in, in the team that we were we had. I've always found tens love having another ten playing twelve outside them because second ball player they they know what to look for they know the comps to feed in and it just makes their job so much easier. Eh? Yeah, it literally is. I think those to be fair you can you can overdo it. We've we've had a couple of times this season where we've had like we spoke about Jacob and like we've had like three or four tens on the pitch at the same time <laughs> playing different positions. <laughs> And I'm like, that's a bit much because at some point someone needs to make a tackle. Um, but no, it is like you said, it's good. And it, it kind of takes the pressure off that guy who's actually playing 10. And then as a 10 playing 12, you can actually just have a bit more freedom. You don't have to run the team as much. You don't have to make as many decisions. Um, like I mentioned, like I end up just, just playing rugby and playing, playing a game as opposed to like thinking about stuff and controlling other people. Mate, sounds like you were just ready to take off and, and then crack on to the international scene but uh, injuries cut it short but obviously it's awesome to hear that you're comfortable with that and um, that you're in a good space obviously not being affected by it too much um, your body anyway but life after rugby you're into that now or you're into that soon once the season's finished uh, what are your plans I know you've set up an awesome uh, nutrition plan called the rugby grub do you want to talk about that yeah so that's one of those things that kind of outside of rugby I had that time to kind of try and do something. And so me and Harry Elrington, who's, who's Irish as well, we um, we basically got like forced to, because the boys at the club basically are, we had an old S&C coach um, who basically just didn't trust anyone to cook any meals for themselves. So he asked me and Harry to like set up a, uh, a recipe sharing platform for the club so people would cook, cook properly outside of, uh, outside of the club and so from that it kind of like snowballed I guess like kind of accidentally into us setting up this this page of rugby club and um 
it basically became like our kind of our life and kind of our job for a couple of years outside of rugby. We basically were putting recipes. We both actually did a nutrition qualification outside it as well. So yeah, rugby grub it became this. We were doing some coaching as well, and um, it's uh, it was really good fun to be fair. And like I mentioned to you earlier, we're kind of we're looking for someone at the moment to kind of help us come on board and do some more content for us while our, both our lives are changing a little bit. So um, it's been a brilliant journey and it's been like, it's been something that's probably kept me going outside of rugby um, for a decent bit. Was, was cooking something you're always passionate about or did you sort of stumble across it? I kind of sort of stumbled upon it really. I think like it made us kind of be creative and like, we both love food and we both love cooking and it's kind of just by something that we were doing all the time and we love kind of coming up with new recipes, trying new things, figuring out how it fit in our diet. And um, yeah, I think because we were kind of forced to like do it and put, put content out there, it kind of brought the best out of us in cooking and in, in kind of learning nutrition stuff. Is that what you're looking to do now, now that you're finished? You're looking to sort of put all your energy into that? Um, yeah, funnily enough, it's, it's not actually, I kind of, I had this, like, obviously it was such a good thing for us and like, we loved doing it. And like I said, we were kind of qualified nutrition coaches, but I think like through that process, I realized like the thing that I liked most about it was kind of like talking to people about like their stuff and how they thought about things and how they like approached, obviously like nutrition was the kind of thing we were talking about, but people would speak to us about what they were stressed about issues in their like difficulties they're going through in their life and why they're eating a certain way or why they wanted to gain weight or lose weight and I was kind of I found myself like far more interested in that than actually kind of helping them along the kind of actual nutrition um and alongside kind of working in rugby and having access to psychologists I'm actually going to go study psychology um after this so I'm kind of going back to back to being a student again so sure. yeah it's it's something that I, that I thought about and I was like you know what this is actually kind of what I wanted to do like long term um and like you said it's it's kind of come at a good time that I'm here gonna have to go back to uni and kind of give it another crack so yeah that's that's the plan at the moment really how many years have you got to do at uni yeah so it's so it's a master so I'm gonna it's basically a one-year master's I've already got a an undergrad and oh, um, I did alongside the rugby so yeah, so it's basically I'm going to do it two years part time, yeah. and then, like I said, I'm in the one of the the retired players. So I'm going to find some work outside of that, but yeah, psychology is the, the thing I want to go into uh, kind of long term. Cool. And what's the dream? What's the dream job for you? <sighs> I'll be honest, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd love to work in sport again. Mm-hmm. Like I see the, the the work that sports psychologists do, and I think that's sick. And I think while I kind of want to distance a little bit from rugby, like being being part of a team and being involved in in boys I mean like you know as rugby players everyone's living their dream and just being in that environment is so so cool and so interesting Mm. so I think that's what I'll go to long term like I've got like a real interest and there's there's like a a company I'm going to get involved with hopefully that kind of do leadership and like resilience and like kind of mental skills coaching for children and kind of young people yeah um and that's like I find that like really interesting because obviously if you can do that at that age, then it helps people. Like I said, when they when they get older and and like shit hits the fan, mm. like stuff like this, I guess. Like if I'd had that um, when I was kind of like thirteen, fourteen, who knows how I'd be able to deal with stuff? But I think that's um, that's pretty cool. So I'm kind of going to go down that road. And I mean, like you might know at the moment, I think once you come out of rugby, it's always been the kind of like linear. This is where I want to go. Mm. 
and at the moment I'm kind of in that period of like got to figure stuff out and kind of just enjoy the ride and, and see what happens really which I've kind of never had to do but hopefully, hopefully it works out like that mate that's exciting stuff and you'll be an absolute wizard at whatever you choose but mate what a what a career what a half career and or what of a what a start of a new career I guess <laughs> mate what a journey it's been but anyway we've gone to our Instagram as always for some questions and you have come up with plenty mainly from one person but um, there is a few others in here as well first question are you worried that you'll have some ongoing concussion issues uh yeah i am a bit worried um i it's uh i like we mentioned about the, the guys going through that moment like i'm a bit worried about that but i think my rugby career could have come to an end anyway like i could have had i could have ruined my knee like obviously like our, our good mate mike he had a pretty a pretty awful hamstring mm. in, injury that sadly finished his career like that could affect you in lots and lots of different ways like like my dad like could never throw because the shoulder was so fucked from rugby so oh, like true. i am obviously worried but i understand but like i think we're looked after in a way that hopefully i shouldn't have two kind of negative effects down the future so i'm a little bit worried but like i i understand that's kind of that's part and parcel of, of what we did fair enough okay next question is three weeks off footy after a head knock long enough even if you have no symptoms oh, um i uh, i'm probably not the person to ask um, but to be perfectly honest um but i'll give i'll give my i'll give my opinion anyway um i got i got told a little a while ago by one of the the, the specialists that he said that he worried for how quickly people got back after having no symptoms um so I, like I just think you've got to be like you've got to have a a real responsibility for yourself mm. because you might have had no real symptoms for a lip for for three weeks let's say but everyone kind of knows the feeling when you don't feel quite right when you're playing back or like yeah. like I remember getting back and I like I felt fine but I could not take a high ball to save my life I just couldn't <laughs> see the ball and so I was like either I just suck at this or there's something still not on so um, <laughs> which I do I do so eyeballs i think that's a bad example but um yeah i think you gotta you gotta really know like yourself so i think it's on you on like the player i know it's difficult when you're pressured to get back into a sport mm. and when it's like this is the time it takes you should be fine by now but when it when it comes to your head like i think you do have to take a massive personal responsibility to be like am i okay am i right and if you're not comfortable for whatever reason just just take more time i yeah. think that's what i'd say that's good advice because it's the worst thing about concussion. Everyone always asks, oh, when are you going to be back? And how are you feeling? Have, have you got a headache? And all this sort of stuff. It's constant questions about it. And you start overthinking it and you think, am I sweet? I don't quite feel right, that sort of feeling. But you feel like, oh, I could play if I needed to sort of thing. And that's where you start getting so far in your head that you start overthinking it, eh? Yeah, it's so difficult. And like, I mean, we've, we've both been there before. Like I even had it when I... I'd come back, I'd made my decision and I was like making up stories because obviously I came back in and like the two days before I told everyone at Irish, like everyone's kind of like, oh, how's it going? How are you feeling? When are you going to be back? Exactly that. Yeah. And I obviously knew that I was going to retire. <laughs> so I was had to like just make up stuff. It was just kind of fun in a weird way. <laughs> I was telling one person that I was going to like take two weeks, one person I'd be back this week. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it is difficult when you get that bombardment. There is pressure to be back. Yeah. Um, and like I said, with the concussion, sometimes like you don't know if you're fine. You're a bit like, oh, I've got no idea. I feel a bit weird, but yeah. it's been two weeks. I should be fine. It's yeah. um, it's a difficult one. It sure is. 
Okay. Well, this is one interesting one for some. Um, what are the questions asked when you get sent off for an HIA? You'll know these back to front. <laughs> yeah, I could just should I just run you through one now, Jimmy? We'll do a bit of a role play. <laughs> you um yeah, it's uh I literally this is so one of them. There's a few um they li- they read you a list of like ten words out that by by now every player has memorized. Yeah. So uh they read you these ten words out and you just like list them off like however shit you feel. Um so you do that, they ask you there's a few like numbers, they ask you to repeat numbers in reverse order. They always ask you to say the months of the year in reverse order, yeah. but like I've got no reason to say the months of the year in normal order now. So I genuinely think I'm far better the other way around from my <laughs> my years of HIAs. So they do that. Um, they there's a few balance tests. Um, so you stand on one foot, you stand on two feet, eyes closed. Um, so there's a few bits and bobs like that, and. Yeah, and then you basically got ten minutes to pass it, um, and if you're no good for it, for any of those things, they pull you off, which I think I think is pretty good. So, yeah, as most rugby players know by now, it's uh, you, you can kind of memorise it, and you can kind of get your way through it. So, um, bubble carpet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bubble carpet, apple saddle. Oh, I'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Okay, what did you put in your will? In my will. Mm. Oh my god! <laughs> right, I get what this is now. <laughs> I had a bit of a shocker at a social. <laughs> oh mate, I was like, "What was that?" No, I get what he's on about now. I basically had is like, I mean, the best part of like a lot of being in a rugby club is like the socials where everyone's getting a good piss up together. Yeah, and. Uh, I still maintain to this day. So it was one where we had to dress where where you're from. And where a few of us are from is this like county in England called Berkshire, which is kind of famous for its kind of like shooting, like clay pigeon shooting, kind of like quite like posh and kind of wear lots of tweed. And so a few of us rocked up wearing tweed and we took like pipes. And um, we'd had the social, obviously everyone was getting getting blitzed and stuff. And we were smoking these pipes and I've got asthma and <laughs> I've never smoked a pipe in my life before. So when it comes time and we're going home, I start having like an asthma attack. <laughs> and I obviously thought I was just steaming, so I had a bit of a shocker. And so we get home <laughs> to the one of the lads' houses. And I'm like lying on the sofa like, lads, I can't breathe. I can't breathe, I swear to God. And um, I felt so bad. And so I'm literally like lying. Like I've basically taken all my clothes off at this point. So I'm kind of lying, kind of wheezing on the side of on this sofa. And, um, and, and the lads are like, they obviously kind of aren't really taking it seriously because they're like, he's just, he's just pissed. Yeah. And so he's like, do you want to call, call an ambulance? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> like, I'm really kind of emotional by this point. And I'm so emotional at this point that I think I'm like done. I'm like, I'm, like in my head, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> and so I asked Matt Williams to basically give me his phone so I could write down <laughs> my last will. <laughs> Which is just as like, he's still got it. I have no idea what's on it. I don't know what's on my Will Jacob. Um, and But it's on Matt's phone and he's like, it's that one thing that he's holding over me for the rest of my life. Um, and the sad thing is that the story finishes with the ambulance rocking up. I felt so bad for wasting their time. And they got there and they, they walked in and they just go, you had a few drinks, have you? And I'm like, yeah. And they go, because I'm obviously worried that I've got alcohol poisoning or something. And they turned, they turned to Matt and they're like, how much has he had to drink tonight? 
And Max looks at him like he kind of looks to the side and he's like, I think he's probably had four or five pints of beer. <laughs> and as in, they just look at him, they're like, four or five pints of beer and you've called the ambulance here. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, like a complete sham. So, yeah, I was obviously absolutely fine in the end. But, uh, oh, that's good. Hey, Williams has got my last. No, no, absolute shocker. Oh, Snake, he's got a mega memory, that guy. Great question. He does, yeah. That's a good start. Such a good question. Okay, now this question's coming a few times. Uh, three or four people have sent this one in. Sort of, can you sing a song? Because obviously you're, you're known for a pretty gun voice. Um, we've had a few guys on the podcast already. Angus Tarvel sung Creed. Uh, Jeremy Thrush, Adele. Be good to get a UK version of one of your favourite songs. <sighs> I, I hear you. I hear you've got a really good voice. Jimmy, I think it can speak to how bad my voice is. I can't do it for you. I, I just can't. <laughs> the boys like know that like I love White Tiger. So like there's a song called White Tiger. Come but on, give us some. That's what they want, I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, right, I'm gonna compose my singing voice. Yeah. <laughs> Should I just do it close to the mic as well? Yeah. Ooh. Ah. Uh, White Tiger. That's as much as I'll do it. So I'm not doing any more than that. It's, mate, uh, that was actually unbelievable. Hey, they weren't don't, wrong. Don't hey? lie to me, mate. It was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> do you get no, a hard time I, for um, that voice? I, I honestly, I'm not going to go any more than that. Like oh. genuinely, every time I'm like a proper. I love like I'm I'm the, I'm that guy like in the car like I love singing. Yeah. But I've just been berated by my friends <laughs> over time for having a terrible voice. So I just like I'm just like I won't do it. I'm just scarred by the years of abuse. So uh, mate, that was quite. Sorry, that's as much mate. as I go. I was expecting a lot worse. <laughs> it was quality. Oh no, mate. Okay. What happened when you went to the skate park? <laughs> I um one of my lockdown hobbies was like learning to skateboard, and um. I obviously have got like a good history with injury. So I'm kind of one of those clumsy people that gets hurt. And um, I was like skating around and everyone's kind of taking the piss. They're like, what are you doing? Like you're having a midlife crisis here. And it's two days before a game. And um, I'm kind of just like skating to get my hair cut or whatever. So like down where like in Sunbury, there's like a skate park on the roundabout where there's like the barbers and stuff. So I'm like skating past and like, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go to like a skate park. I'm just going to kind of skate around because I don't want to hurt myself while I'm playing rugby. Yeah. And um, I just like, I looked there as I, would, as I skated past it and I was like, yeah, there's no one there. Like normally it's really full. Like I, like I was like, oh, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> like never been anywhere near one before. And so I just like, there's obviously like a big slope going like this big bowl. And I've just like gone to the top of it and jumped on my board. And genuinely had like, a, as I'm going down, quick wobble, like properly shit myself. Like I fell off, my board like flew into the air and I've literally gone like, like proper like comedic, like slipped on my ass and then just like hit my like ass on the floor and then like twatted my face, like just on the concrete. And so I'm like lying there on the floor, like two days before a game, like we've literally just got the team run the next day and I'm lying on the floor and I'm like, I've just knocked myself out. Like, uh, I'm absolutely fucked it. <laughs> so I literally just lay on the floor for probably about five minutes, just sitting there like, what have I done? I'm an absolute idiot. And obviously I like rocked up the next day to do the team run and like I'd actually kind of hurt my hip a bit. So I was like running around. Boys are like, like, what are you doing? Are you okay? And I was like, yep, absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. 
Um, so like next day, like I'm absolutely fine and like get through the game. But um, it's just like I, I said to myself after that, I was like, I'm never going to a skate park ever again. That's actually why you've retired, isn't it? That's <laughs> the concussion from the Yeah, don't park. don't tell the insurance people like that. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh man, I was properly sketched out. It was just like a worst nightmare. Oh, classic. Good yarns. Okay. What's your family cat's name and why? <laughs> I'm happy this has come out now because the the, the man in question knows. So, oh, this is just a horrible story. I had I had a family cat when I was younger, right? And I kind of grew up in the area. Everyone, like a few of the lads that we grew up here were always kind of London Irish fans or whatever. And um, when I was probably, I must have been like probably 12, like 12, my sister was 14 and we got, we got a cat for the first time. My family, my mum got a cat and we were kind of thinking about names and my sister goes, uh, oh, this is, um, she's like, oh, that, that team you, you're playing for, they're, uh, they've got a player called Topsy, um, as in Topsy Ojo, like the, the, the kind of the record holder for, do you know this by the way? The legend. No, I don't know this one. Yeah, so Topsy. So Daisy was like, yeah, we'll, we'll call it Topsy. And so my cat's called Topsy. Like, I go living the next kind of six years of my life with my family cat, as you do. Um, I never really thought at that time that I'd end up playing with him. Um, and so he, um, obviously we get, and like, I can't remember, like a, a night out or something. Like one of my like friends in the academy found out in my first year that my cat was called Topsy. And obviously like Topsy's at the club, like this club legend is still playing. And so, like, I'm just, like, mortified that someone knows and that someone's going to tell him. <laughs> so I've got, I've genuinely got, like, I've basically, like, like made everyone swear they'd never tell him because I was so embarrassed that my cat's called Topsy. <laughs> and um, I literally, like, whole career, like, ended up being, like, good mates with him. Like, he's kind of, like, obviously a club legend, retired a few years ago. Like, he never found out, never found out. <laughs> and he actually lives really near me now so we both live in Sunbury and so he literally lives over the road and so like we go to the same corner shop so we bump into each other every night every night again like talk about stuff or whatever and my missus um who had never met him was like we were going to the shop to get something and Topsy's there and like we have a bit of a chat and I'm like oh they, they hadn't met so I was like oh Melanie this is Topsy yeah. and Melanie just like without saying hi to him obviously she said hi but she looks at me and she goes that that's the one and I was like what do you mean she was like that's the guy you named your cat after <laughs> and like straight to his face but I'm there just like I will kill you I'm just like I can't believe it got to this point seven years down the line from when I first met him and like Melanie is the person to just say just out like like oh that's the guy you named your cat after and he obviously is just like what the fuck <laughs> like I had no idea so that was that was a pretty that was a bit of a shocker but you, um yeah you, so that was are you still together <laughs> we're still together yeah and and Topsy still talks to me as well so uh so everyone everyone lived happy ever after but yeah like it's just one of those things that you're so embarrassed about as a kid yeah. and then I was like as a grown man now like <laughs> seven years after I first met him and the longer you lived it the weirder it got <laughs> the weirder it got and like at this point like i've stopped playing with him it'd been two years after i like, just never found out and honestly so embarrassing oh good stuff okay can you do a kickflip um i cannot do a kickflip i unfortunately cannot do a kickflip i'm like 
I've said about my kind of issue at the skate park. Yeah. Like I've just been like I still I still like to be fair, I love skating, but like I just like skate around yeah. and like I basically have these like kids like that. I, I, I know this is him from Jacob as well now. <laughs> I um I like had like so I like I will like skate around Sunbury or whatever. Just like it's kind of like easy to get around whatever. But obviously like there's loads of schools around and like I've had a <laughs> I've had a like a kid come up to me as in like just like they're like loads of kids go home from school and they're like like everyone like shouts like can you do a kickflip um and i'm like no i can't do a kickflip and he's just like you fucking loser and then just starts like shouting at me because i can't do a kickflip i'm sitting there like on my way home from training whatever getting abused by this like 10 year old kid who can't do a kickflip like yeah pretty horrendous oh good stuff you must be able to do an ollie though Genuinely, I've just kind of learned. I've done a couple, mate. Um, but this is the thing. Like Everyone says, like, oh, yeah, I like skateboarding. And everyone's like, could you do that? And I'm like, no. And they're like, could you do that? I'm like, no. You're just like <laughs> to be fair, like, anybody, I just like cruising around. Yeah. Like, But everyone's like, everyone's kind of like, everybody's playing with me. It's like seeing the size of my feet. I've got like clown, like size like 12 and a half feet. And so like, I've just never meant to like be skillful with them. Like even now, to be fair, like the boys sent around. I'm like one of those guys that like falls over his own feet. So like people were sending around videos, like literally in training the other day, like no one around me, just like the old like jogging backwards, getting a position and just like tripping over and just like properly stacking it. So I still do that. So it, a kick flips away off for me. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, that goes back to this one. Is it true that London Irish had to get an excavator to replace your divots after each kickoff? <laughs> <laughs> yes they did i had uh this, is, this one's from Kippa. i had so this one's from Brendan McKinney. yeah <laughs> loves it i actually told i told someone this the other day i had um <laughs> so one of these feet this uh this foot injury that i was telling you about so obviously i've had like operation on my it was my kicking foot my right foot yeah and um so it's taken me like operation it's been about seven months um, since since i did it and kind of my feet and obviously I'd come back and done a bit of kicking and I've kind of was back in training. And it's like my first day in training after seven months out. And, um, I've literally like, I've been kind of like thinking about this moment. I'm like, right, I'm gonna have to do a kickoff for the start of training. Um, and to be fair, like even now I still get a bit sketchy about doing kickoffs because everyone's there watching you. You're like, just kick it to the pod. I just want to catch it. It's not a big deal. And, um, so it's my first day back in training and I'm kind of standing there like shaking with the ball and Kivo's like, don't kick the floor, Boris. And I'm like, look up and I'm like, oh God, here we go. And so I've like gone through, like dropped the ball. And as I've gone to kick it, I've hit the ball. I've hit the floor genuinely about that far behind the ball, like absolutely belted the floor, just like topped the ball like 10 yards as it rolls forward and someone picks it up. And everyone's like, people are just screaming at me. And genuinely like, this is my first kick back in training. And I'm like, I've broken my foot again. I've taken such a big out of the pitch that my foot's gone I'm done and I'm sitting there just like what has happened yeah Kivo just got well and truly in my head that day I think I remember that oh he was good at that sort of stuff oh. I was just like if anyone else had said it I probably would have been like oh, yeah funny but I was just like yeah. oh no <laughs> it's gonna happen yeah, yeah honestly okay. horrendous two more questions how did you get the nickname Boris yeah, I mean, to be fair, if you've listened to like an hour of this podcast, you probably know by now. I'm just like, I had this thing when I was coming through the academy of like, I would just tell like 
I'm the guy who like tells like really just boring facts. Like I'll just say to me like, oh, I found something out today. And it's just like, no one cares. Like no one cares, which is fair enough. And then, so I had, um, I had a mate in the academy, Ollie Adams. He was this like kind of like South London, like bit of a geezer. And um, I like told him something and he was like, mate, you are so boring. Like just stop telling me these nothing stories. And he, he like after a while, he said, I felt bad for calling you boring all the time. So I thought I'd just give you a boring name. So I'll call you Boris. And, um, and thankfully it's not related to Boris Johnson for everyone in the UK. I'm, I'm not like Boris Johnson. So it's not to do with that, but um, he literally, and it was one of those, you know, when you get a nickname, like, like snake did. Yeah. Um, and you just fight it and you just fight it and you fight it and then everyone loves it. And like it got to the point where no one knew particularly why I was called Boris, but the fact that I hated it so much that everyone kind of loved it. Like I grew to kind of love it. It was kind of a, a bit of me. And um, yeah, obviously like I still get called it and stuff. So um, I like it now, but yeah, it came out from Molly just, uh, just give me a bit of stick basically. Mate, I had no idea that was the background of that. That's, that's a good yarn. Okay. Last question. Yeah. One piece of advice you'd give a young rugby player coming through the grades yeah i mean i think i I mentioned it earlier and it's when i kind of look back and i was talking to you about those kind of early years of my career i think just like learning to be like build like good relationships with people around you like you mentioned like obviously like you and like kibbo you mentioned and i I looked at you guys and kind of just the ability to like just like connect with people and have a, a good laugh obviously while you're playing i know there's times where you take stuff seriously but just build like is like invest in the relationships around you like take care of your mates like have a really good time with them and like enjoy kind of coming through or just enjoy playing rugby with your mates and the group of people that you have because like like you'll know when you look back you're like i'm kind of having at the moment like like if people ask me about like the best times in my career like the first thing i'm probably going to say is is not like it was this win or it was this thing that we won like while that's great but it's like it's kind of the cool memories and the, the like the fun you have like yeah. The times you're like pissing around with your mates like building like really good relationships or like it's obviously like i think it's a skill that will make you better at rugby but also you'll like enjoy your time you'll enjoy what you're doing and you'll have brilliant people around you and i think um i think that's the thing that i would say to young rugby players don't get too hung up on being just rugby 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 just mm-hmm. like have good relationships around that and, uh, and really enjoy the, your time oh man how good's that advice what a way to finish the podcast <laughs> some of the greatest advice <laughs> we've had on yet but anyway mate really appreciate you coming on the podcast gutted to hear that you've had to retire um but i'm stoked to hear that you're you're still feeling well you're not going to be suffering as you go forward and really looking forward to seeing what is next for you i'm excited to see what team you end up being their sports psych obviously going to be a gun at it the way you always thought about the game and the way you spoke about um just things in general always interest me and like you'll be an absolute guru and looking forward to following your journey in that space but really appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving up your time mate really appreciate it, jimmy it was good fun it was good uh good to catch up again mate yeah likewise you're a lad what a lad what a lad what a lad what a lad